Church, if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning, we indeed are going to talk about the fact that we have been given new life because of Jesus Christ. As we've begun this chapter in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, what we have found is that this is a church that is struggling. It's a church that is much like you and I, where we're striving to walk with Jesus Christ. We desire to know Him. We desire to follow Him. We desire to be transformed by Him. But even within our lives, we start to understand that we have the struggles. We have the ups and downs. If you're looking for a perfect church, that perfect church does not exist. He is perfecting us. But the reality is we are learning how to journey together in our faith and journey together in our walk with Christ. As you know, this church that we've been talking about in Corinth was a church that was showing division. It was a church where literally they were divided over theology. They were divided over how to deal with sin in the church. They were divided over things like we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, who it was that they were following. Some said, we follow Paul. Some said, we follow the Apostle Peter. Some were saying, we're going to follow Apollos. And literally, what we find is that these men, especially the Apostle Paul who is writing this letter, they were trying to say to the men and women of this church that it's not us that you need to follow, it's Jesus Christ that you need to follow follow. There is a wisdom that we must have if we're going to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not a wisdom that we gain from the world. It's not a wisdom that comes from inside of us. It is a wisdom that is given to us solely because of the Spirit of Jesus Christ convicting us, coming into us as believers, transforming our lives and making us more and more day by day like Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but this simple gospel was what transformed my life. And it's this simple gospel that continues to make a difference in my life. And so as we start today and as we look at what we want to discuss today, I I want to start by saying if you're a child of the 80s, it's a wonder that you survived, right? There were lots of crazy things about the 80s. Back in the 80s, listen, when we drove cars, you didn't strap children in. What would you do with them? Yeah, I mean, you just literally, your arm was a seatbelt half the time, but you stuck them in the windowsill on the back. If you had a station wagon, you didn't buckle them in. They just laid back there, right? Over and over, we see all these examples. One of the worst examples in the 80s, I think, of poor judgment and poor wisdom of the world. Because, listen, the world says that it has wisdom. But I think coming out of the 60s, we, we know what was happening in the 60s, which transformed, I think, what happened in the 70s and 80s. How many of y'all had lawn darts? I mean, who thought up lawn darts? If you know what lawn darts are, they're basically you would throw a hula hoop in the yard, and they would give children... These things that were, they were essentially daggers. They may as well have been knives. They literally were plastic darts on the end, but on the other end literally had a spike that was this long. And guess what you would do? You would throw it across the yard and you would try to make it in the circle. Well, how many of you think children are wise enough? Children who eat dirt, children who eat worms are going to be wise enough to not throw those things at each other. Our favorite game with lawn darts wasn't, let's see if we can make it in the circle. You know what we do? We would throw them as high as we can, watch them come down, and see who had the nerve to let it land the closest. Yes, I'm a genius. Does that sound very wise to you? When we think about worldly wisdom, honestly, 
there's so much about this world that when we compare it to God's wisdom, when we see what God's word says and we see what the world says, we see that, listen, the world is not very wise at all. But how does a man become wise? How does a man become saved? We're going to talk about that today as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter Let me read to you the beginning verse uh, 1 through 5 of chapter 2. It says, And when I came to you, brethren, I didn't come with superiority of speech, of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I've got good news for you today because all of us have been called to witness. All of us have been called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our mission is to go into all the world and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And listen, when I say that to some of you, you immediately feel a sense of fear, don't you? You immediately feel a sense of trembling. And we can say it in this room, and we can say it in our classrooms, and we can teach the Bible at church, and we can teach the Bible around our dinner table, but it's another thing completely when we feel the weight of eternity that God has called us not just to our homes and not just to our churches, but he has called us to go and take this gospel to the world. And the Apostle Paul wants them to remember that, listen, this gospel that you have, this gospel that you've been given, you're trying to say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter. Listen, he is saying to them, you're not of any of ours. You are God's. God saved you. You were baptized not into our name, but into the name of Jesus Christ. And if there is any work to be done, it is going to be a work of God. Now, folks, that should take some of the pressure off of us as witnesses. I want to declare to you today a truth that all of you need to know is that God has never asked you technically to save anyone. What he's asked you to do is to be faithful to preach the word of God. Faithful to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I want you to remember and I want you to see that what these first five verses say to us today that is effective witnessing, it comes from his power. This ought to be one of the most encouraging passages for those of us who have tried to share our faith. We see the Apostle Paul, who we would say if there was ever a faithful witness, if there was ever a man that we thought would be confident, we look at the Apostle Paul and look at what he says. He says that when he came to the Corinthian church, how did he come? He said, I I, I have fear. I have trembling. He said, I come to you. And, And I want you to think about why Paul would have those things. Number one, he was going to a hostile environment. Not everyone wants to receive the gospel of God. Not everyone is going to have their eyes open. Not everyone is going to believe. And he already knew that to go to this place, that it was going to cost him. He had been shipwrecked. He had been beaten. He had been stoned. He had been imprisoned. He knew that to carry out what God had called him to do, that it was going to cost him something. But I think even more than that, I can tell you as a preacher, when we stand and we give someone the word of God, you feel the weight of eternity. I think that's why witnessing can be so hard for us. We put all this pressure on ourselves to believe that, you know what? I have to save this person. 
And I have to have all the right words, and I have to do all the right things. And, I, and, and we have this mentality that, you know what, all of this witness, all of this evangelization, all of this discipleship, we act as if it is 100% dependent upon us. And I want you to see what the apostle Paul said. He said, listen, I am not here as a philosopher. I'm not here as a salesman. You know what he came as? Just a simple witness. We would have a different outlook on evangelism if we realize that, you know what, it really is just me telling another person what Jesus Christ has done. That being a disciple, here's the, the fallacy. We think that if I'm going to make disciples, if I'm going to be a witness, well, I've got to go to seminary to do that. Or I've got to go to mission school to do that. Or, or you know what, I have to have and understand the whole entire Bible to be able to go and do that. And we start thinking to ourselves, I wonder how long you have to be a Christian before you can actually go and share Christ with someone else. You know what the answer to that is? Immediately, from the moment that you are saved, guess what you can do? You can go and tell someone else what has happened to you. You know what the Bible says over and over? That Jesus would save someone, that they would have faith and they would believe. And even when Jesus was trying to say to them, now when you make sure when you leave, you don't tell anybody because it's not yet my time, what did they do? Most times they couldn't contain themselves and they would run and they would tell their neighbors and they would tell their family and they would tell anyone that they could about what just happened with this man, Jesus. And folks, that's what it is to share our faith. That's what it is to be a disciple. It means that as we're journeying in our walk with God, we're not content to journey alone. The power of God is transforming us. The power of God is moving in us to save us and to help us grow in our knowledge of God and what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And what we do as disciple makers is we refuse to take that journey alone. So dads, when you get in your quiet times, you say, how do I disciple my children? You know what you do? You open up your Bible and you let God speak. And what God shares with you out of that word that day, you know what you can do for your children? Just simply share it with them. Tell them. If I were to ask you to raise hands, how many parents in this room have ever stopped for two seconds to literally share their entire testimony with their children it is shocking how many times in churches the number of parents that have never told their children who God is and what God has done in their life. Now, they may take them to church to have it told to them. But have you stopped? And have you shared? And are you walking in this journey with the Lord and making sure that you as a beggar are telling all the other beggars around you where they can find bread? where they can find life, where they can find hope. Because Paul says, look, I'm no different than the rest of you. I come with fear and trembling. But here's what Paul realized, that our aim, when we are sharing Christ, our aim when we are trying to help make disciples of other believers is to make the profound simple and to simplify the difficult so that all can understand. Folks, what I love about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it takes the faith of a child to believe. That there are certain truths of the gospel that are absolutely simple. 
And maybe that's why so many want to reject it. We don't want to believe that our salvation could come down to another dying in our place, that I have to earn it, that I have to deserve it. It can't be that simple. Faith, God just showing grace, God sending a son to die in our place, maybe for some people that seems like foolishness. Maybe for some people that seems like madness. But the reality is there are simple truths in the Bible, but there are also places in the Bible that, you know what, it's like swimming in the deep end of a pool, right? That no matter whether you're a new believer understanding the gospel or a believer who has been walking with Jesus and you're studying the Bible and after 50 years you still haven't gotten to the depths of all that is there and applied it all to your life yet. I'm not saying that we live in such a way that the gospel is so simplistic that it doesn't require study, that it doesn't require us to dive into the deep things of Scripture. But what I'm saying is that, you know what, it's never been about us. It's about God illuminating for us, God revealing for us, God through His Spirit working in us to accomplish all that He desires. And it begins with simply sharing the good news of Jesus with people and then walking with them to help them become disciples Preaching the gospel, Paul is saying, was never meant to be an opportunity to flaunt one's abilities and one's own intellect. If Facebook is taught as anything, we're never going to argue people into salvation, are we? We're never going to debate people into salvation. What so many times has to happen in the lives of people is that God takes a transformed instrument, a transformed life, you in me, and he does a work in us, and he begins to purify us and make us holy. He begins to change our lives so that there is no doubt to the people around us that God has moved, that God's power has transformed a life. When we think about God's power, it is meant to be manifest, it is meant to be displayed. And listen, the proof and the example of these men, a man like Paul, who literally was the persecutor of the church, now is the preacher of the church of Jesus Christ. The man that he was looks nothing like the man. Man that he is. And his life is a picture of the power of God displayed. And Paul is simply saying, I want to tell you how it happened. I want to tell you how this change occurred. And it's not about my intellect. He says, I don't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. He says, I come. He says, I just want to proclaim the testimony of God to you. And I want to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Folks, we need to understand that spiritual maturity and academic knowledge are not the same thing. I didn't say that either one of them is unimportant. But you understand that they're not the same thing. You can have all the academic knowledge in the world and not live out your faith. You can be the smartest biblically in the room but it doesn't mean for a second that one equates the other and that somehow your knowledge and your wisdom, that somehow your own intellect is what people around us need. What they need is the Spirit of God moving in and through us to open blind eyes so that they can see. What he says that we need in verse 5, when you look at it, he says... 
I didn't use persuasive words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the Spirit and the, of power. And listen to what he says, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men. Because that's how this whole conversation got started. He said, you're focused on men. Your faith isn't about men. Your faith is about the power of God. And folks, we have to be careful because we want to see a faith that rests on the power of God. If someone's faith is in the wisdom of men and not in the power of God, if someone can be persuaded into the kingdom by human wisdom, they can be persuaded out of the kingdom by human wisdom. If we're not careful, what we find is that our whole Christian walk can be built on a false foundation, the wrong thing. Folks, we've not been placed here to follow man. We've been placed here to follow Jesus Christ. We see it all the time in our churches that, you know what? We say, this man saved me. Well, no preacher saved you. Well, this man ultimately discipled me. Yes, we play a part, but understand, we're a tool in the hand of of God, and he can use any vessel and any tool that he wants. Have you ever seen people that literally, once a pastor leaves a church, their faith falls apart? They leave the church? Have you ever noticed that there are people that they do the same thing? They have a following in churches where they're asking the question Is Aaron preaching? Or is John preaching? Or is Josh preaching? Or is Chuck Register preaching? Who's preaching today? Because that's going to make a determination on whether I go. Listen, you don't come, hopefully, to hear me. I hope you come to hear the Word of God. I hope you come to be transformed. And listen, God, He can use a king. He could use a prophet. He can use a disciple. He can use a donkey. Right? Listen, we want your faith to rest on one thing, the power of God. That our walk is about what Jesus has done through the power of the gospel. Folks, he doesn't say that the power is in men. He says that we aren't ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the, it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God to save lives. Our faith can't be in the wisdom of men. It has to be on the power of God. And so, folks, that's why our job is to simply take the truths of Scripture and to share them with other people. To do, listen, the reality is a, a preacher can parse all the verbs and, and he can literally know the Greek and the Hebrew and, and we can spout out from this pulpit all kinds of things at you. You know what? We ought to know those things. We ought to study those things. We ought to care about those things. But when I get behind this pulpit, what I ought to want to do is not impress you with my intellect, but take things that may be deep and make them what? Make them simple. To make sure that you're getting the truth. The simple truths of Scripture. Because God will open your eyes to the truth and you get to share the truth of God with others. I love the way D.L. Moody said it. He said, I haven't been called to feed sheep. Or he said, I'm sorry. He said, I have been called to feed sheep, not giraffes. He says, I put the cookies on the bottom shelf where the children can reach them. Folks, he's not trying to dumb down the gospel.
But folks, as we grow, as we learn, as we deepen our faith through the power of God, we have the chance to share that faith with others because effective witnessing comes from His power. Secondly, true wisdom is revealed by His Spirit. Effective witnessing is from His power. The true wisdom, the Scripture says here, is revealed by His Spirit. Look at what it says in verse 6. He says, Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who... Or I'm sorry, but... I did that first service. I don't know why. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it was written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we who have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, but a natural... Uh, let me just stop there in verse 13. True wisdom is revealed by His Spirit. What that means for us, first of all, is it's not of this age. The wisdom that God desires to give His children is not a wisdom of this age. It's not understood by the rulers of this age. Christi uh, Christianity Church is a divine revelation. Folks, if it wasn't for Jesus, your eyes would have never been opened. If it wasn't for the Spirit of God working in you, you understand that you were lost. You understand that you were blind. You understand that you were in darkness. You understand that you were hopeless and helpless to find salvation in and of yourself. You would have come up with every other way to believe that you could be saved. You would tell yourself there is no God. You would tell yourself if there is a God, He doesn't care about us. You would say, if there is a God and I have to stand before him, I believe I'm a good person. I believe he'll break out a scale, and as long as the good doesn't outweigh the bad, or maybe I'll just put Hitler up there beside me, and I'm better than Hitler. Maybe I'll just earn it. I'll look at God and say, I deserve it. That's what the wisdom of the world says. But folks, that's foolishness. And God has to open our hearts and open our eyes and open our minds to the truth that from the beginning of time when man sinned and fell, that God set in motion a plan to save us. He would send us a Savior who would one day die in our place, pay the price for our sins. Look at what he says in this word here. He says that it's not understood by this age or the, or the rulers of this age. He said it's a mystery to those who are not saved. That's what he was beginning saying in verse 6. 
He goes on and says, not only is it not for those who, 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 and they can't understand unless they're saved. He goes on and says, but listen, this mystery that we're speaking about, this wisdom that I'm telling you about, it has been a mystery through the ages. And I want you to see in verse 8 and verse 9 that he literally says that God is revealing himself. That God wants to help us understand a mystery, to understand something that was at one time hidden. When we consider the role of the Spirit in our lives, listen, there's, there's three things that He has been doing throughout history. He has been revealing God to man. It's like pulling back the curtain. That which has been covered has now become uncovered. That is really what the Bible is. It is the revelation, the progressive revelation of God, helping us understand who He is and what His purposes are from the very beginning of time until it's bookended on the other end with the end of time. When you consider all that God has been doing throughout history, he has been telling one story about Jesus. The wisdom of God is found in the Word of God. Because not only does he reveal to us who God is, but understand the Spirit of God was the one who inspired the writers of this book to write down the very words of God. The reason we can say this is the Word of God is because we believe as Christians, that God inspired men to write His words. And these aren't the words of men. These are the very words of God. And God, through His Spirit, inspired. And you say, well, how can we understand God? How can we understand the truth of this book? Many of us have tried to read it, and we think, my goodness, it's so hard to understand. The third thing that the Spirit wants to do beyond revelation and inspiration is He wants to illuminate. Remember what Jesus would say, I'm going to send you a helper, right? And he's going to guide you into all what? Into all truth. And I can tell you this, I had no hunger or thirst for the Bible until I was saved. All I could hear and receive was the gospel, the basic truth of the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, the knowledge that he would one day come again, and I needed to be saved. That was where I started. But after the Spirit of God came into me as a believer in Jesus Christ, listen, this book came alive for me. Not because I got smarter, but because Jesus now lived in me through his Spirit, and he began to open my eyes to truth. I love what it says here. Out of Isaiah, he says, listen, there are things which eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, things that have not entered the heart of man that God has prepared for those who love him. That's the perspective of Isaiah. That's the perspective of the Old Testament scriptures. He says that David couldn't have fully understood the plan of God, the purpose of God. He couldn't have fully understood who Jesus would be and how he would suffer and die, that he wouldn't be the king that everybody thought he would be. He would be a suffering servant. Even Isaiah in his descriptions could not have fully understood what God was doing. He was revealing himself. And he said, even in the Old Testament scriptures, it would have blown their mind to think of how God would save the world. He says, but we're on the other side of the cross. Aren't you glad to know that now our eyes can see? That our ears can hear? <laughs> Sometimes we use that verse just to talk about heaven, like our eyes can't see and our ears can't hear and, and our, our thought, we just can't keep up with one day what God is going to do in heaven. That's really not the context of this verse. 
The context of this verse is that, listen, that was true in the Old Testament, but now we have the Spirit of God indwelling us as believers, and we can understand the mystery, the truth, the gospel. He says this wisdom is not in words taught by human wisdom, but it's taught by the Spirit of God. God's wisdom is literally the person and work of Jesus revealed to us in the gospel. This Bible tells one story about how Jesus would save the world. I also want us to see thirdly and lastly that life transformation comes from having his mind. True wisdom is revealed by his spirit and life transformation comes from having the mind of Christ. I want to ask you a question. What is the use of being a professing Christian? If there's no evidence in our lives of transformation? What is the use of being a Christian if our life looks no different than the millions of other Christless men and women around us? When we understand the truth of God and, and fully grasp the wisdom of God and who He is and who we are and what He's calling us to, as the Spirit of God reveals that to us through the Word of God, it transforms our life. And listen to what he says. He says, But a natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For he who has known the mind of the Lord, for who, I'm sorry, for who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. A.W. Tozier said it well when he said, The Holy Spirit never enters a man and then, lets, and then lets him live like the world. You can be sure of that. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit never enters a man and then lets him live like the world. You can be sure of that. When the Spirit of God begins to illuminate for us the Word of God and the transforming power of the Spirit changes our nature and changes our soul and opens up our minds and hearts to the things that God has for us, I want you to know that your life will be forever changed. I always get concerned when someone says, I don't really know if I'm saved. Because listen, you will know when you're saved. You will know when the light goes on. You will know when you have understanding. You will know. Now listen, over and over, we've got to go and we've got to make sure that we are found in the faith. We have to make sure that there is fruitfulness and evidence of a changed and transformed life because that's what Jesus said would occur. He said, you will walk on a narrow road. You will bear good fruit. He says, the foundation of your life, when you stand before God in judgment, will be that, you know what, I heard the word of God and I obeyed the word of God. And when we stand before God in judgment and the judgment of God beats against that house, he says it will stand. And if it doesn't stand, it's because you were a person who heard God's word, but you never obeyed it. 
We need godly wisdom. We need godly transformation in our life. We've got to know the Word of God, the mind of God revealed to us in Scripture. Because you ask, how can I know the mind of God? Well, it says right there that the Spirit of God knows the mind of God. You can't know what I'm thinking unless I what? Unless I tell you, you can guess. You can act like you know, but you don't really know until I tell you. Because only my spirit knows what is in my mind. And he says it's the same thing with God. That if you want to know what God thinks and what God is doing and what God says and what is true, he says that's why he's given you the spirit. So that it can be revealed to you. I find it interesting that when you talk about the natural man, it describes a person that we would call a materialist. It's that person who lives as if there is nothing beyond this physical life. It's that man whose life, he, he lives like an animal, basically. He doesn't have what separates us from the animals. The recognition of eternity, the recognition of a God who created us and who will judge us one day. Folks, the natural man is the unsaved man. It is the unregenerate man, the man who has never been born again, and all he can do in this life is live for this moment. How many times in the Scripture, over and over and over, Jesus will tell us what it looks like to be a follower of Him. He says you have two choices. You can live for time or you can live for eternity. He says you can live your life and give your soul to this world. Or you can follow Him. And know what true life really looks like. The people who live for time rather than eternity, listen, they're going to grab up everything in this life that they can. They so misunderstand what God has waiting for them. They so misunderstand the purpose and the plans and the calling that God has on them they can't see his purposes. So what do they see? They see their own wants. They see their own needs. They see their own thoughts. So you know what they believe? I'm not worried about eternity. What are we worried about? Today, right here, right now. I got to have the most money. I got to have the most toys. I got to be the best liked. I've got to be this. I've got to be that. They never ask the question, God, who do you say that I am? God, what do you say is important? God, how do you want me to live? And so they say to themselves, they live, the natural man, you know what he'll say? If I have an enemy, then I hate him. And God turns around and says, don't hate your enemy, what are you supposed to do? Love him. The natural man is going to say, you know what, all that matters is me. I'm first. I take the priority. This world is going to serve me. And then Jesus comes along and he flips it on its head and what does he say? He is the greatest, is the least. He turns around and says, listen, here I am. I'm God in the flesh. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. If 
Folks, take a look at your life. Take a look at what you believe. Take a look at what you claim. Take a look at how you're living and ask yourself, am I living like a natural man who lives like there's nothing beyond this physical life? I don't care about mission because I'm not thinking about eternity. I don't care about witnessing because I'm not thinking about eternity. I don't care about serving the church because I'm not thinking about eternity. I don't care about reading the Bible. I'm not worried about eternity. I'm worried about this, and I'm worried about that. I'm worried about ball. I'm worried about vacation. I'm worried about making more money. I'm I'm worried about climbing the ladder. I'm worried about getting everything out of this life that I can possibly get. And no matter who gets in my way, you know what? I'll step on them, and I'll crush them. I don't answer to anyone I will do exactly what I want. That's the natural man. I love what David Platt said about the natural man versus the spiritual man. Because folks, if we will grasp these truths that he spoke, we can look at ourselves and see which one are we. Are we still the natural man or... Are we the spiritual man? He said the natural man feeds pride while the spiritual man crucifies pride. You see, at the very core of who we are, do you think that you know it all? That you need it all? Do you put everyone else's interests behind your own interests? If I were to ask you, if I were to lay out Jesus and others and then you, what order would you put those three? And I want you to be honest. I want you to think about it. Don't, see, it's so easy to sit in this room and just say, oh, Jesus first. Jesus first, without a doubt. Is Jesus first in the morning when you wake up with a quiet time? Is Jesus first in prayer because he's the most important relationship in your life that will feed And that will determine the health of every other relationship in your life? Have you thought about one single soul in the day that you're going to witness to because you know that your greatest calling in this life is to go and make disciples of all nations? That you go as a missionary out into your workforce, out into your neighborhood, into your home for those that don't know Jesus, or all you're thinking about all day long is, listen, I got things to do, I got tasks, I got, I got money to make, I got things to do, and you never even see people. That pride wells up within us to the point that we just want to live for ourselves. We want to answer to ourselves. We don't want anyone or anything to tell us anything. The natural man trusts in human power, while the spiritual man trusts in the Spirit's power. One rejects God's truth. The spiritual man is going to receive God's truth. Seriously, church, when are we going to get back to letting this decide who we are?
one of the most damning things for the church right now is that it's hard to tell who's saved and who's lost sitting in these walls anymore. Because we don't want to obey this. We'll give it a nod. We'll say we agree. We'll give a, 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 an assent to, a, just a, a, yes, God. But does it transform our life? Does it direct our steps? By faith? I mean, f- remember, faith isn't you just hoping God will make your life come out the best that it can. That's not faith. Faith is God has spoken. I heard him. I believe him. And I'm going to act on what he said and let it change who I am. That's faith. I'll go where he says go. I'll do what he says do. Folks, I'm telling you, stop and think about that for a second. How often do you reject God's truth in the way you treat your spouse, in the way you treat your children, in the way you do business, in what you watch, in what you listen to? And how you prioritize your time? I am really afraid. It's what Jesus said. There are going to be many on that day who are going to say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I don't know you. And they're going to find out in that moment when the judgment of God hits them that their house won't stand because, yes, they heard the word of God every week in church, but they never obeyed it. They never let it sink in. They didn't receive the wisdom that God was trying to give them, and they held on to their own wisdom. The natural man sees the cross as folly, foolishness, madness, while the other sees it as forgiveness. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, that literally... To the Jew, to the Greek, it was a stumbling block. It was an offense. It was foolishness to them. They couldn't imagine that that's how God would save the world. They couldn't imagine that their Messiah would would hang on a cursed tree. They wanted him to be king, not a suffering servant. And they denied the truth. And they saw the cross as foolishness. And the spiritual man realizes that if I don't have the cross of Jesus Christ, then I'm hopelessly lost. Their starting place isn't I'm good. Their starting place is I am a sinner in need of a Savior. He says the worldly man or the natural man is doomed to pass away while the other is destined for glory. There are many in this room that might even ask, along with those who are outside of this room, why waste time on spiritual things when you could be making money and having fun? Folks, if that's where you are, you are clinging to things. You are holding on to things that are destined to pass away. What a shame to want it all and to lose it all in eternity. As the musicians come this morning, 
I want to just try to put this all together for us today. Because there was a lot that we discussed and we talked about. Folks, we don't have to answer to the world. We answer to God. That's why he said, you know what? The natural man can't judge the spiritual man because he doesn't understand the truth of God's word. And we don't answer to the natural man. We don't answer to the world. We answer to God faithfully. Serve God. Let God move in your heart and life. Let him transform you. And start living for the things that he told us to live for. I I sat here today and thinking about Stephen's ministry. We have been given this life to care for the souls of other people. The worst thing that could happen in this life is for someone to die and go to hell and be able to say, you know what, there was no one that cared for my soul. And you say, well, how can God use me? Let him save you. Let him transform you. Start to swim in his word and stop saying, you know what, I can't understand and it's too much for me. Listen, you're right, it is for you, but the Spirit of God now lives in you. Get up and get on your knees and pray and ask God to show you his wisdom, to show you his will for your life and let him transform you in such a way that, you know what, people are going to want what you have. They're going to see that you don't care about the things they care about. You're not consumed with money or the latter. You love people. You care about people, even your enemies. You have compassion like no one they've ever seen. You love like someone they've never, ever seen. Your commitments and your priorities are like people they've never, ever seen. And they're going to want to know why. And you share the gospel. You be a witness to what has happened to you. And what God's word says, what you know that his word says, and you say, I don't know at all, fine. Start with what you know and keep swimming. And I want to close with this. There was a a woman, a Christian woman, a wise woman who was traveling in the mountains who found a precious stone in a stream. The next day, she came across another traveler, and when she found that stone, she just simply placed it in the sack that she was carrying. And when the man approached her, he needed food. He needed water. And she said, or he said to her, do you have anything that that I can eat, anything that will help me on the journey? And she opened up the sack, and she was going to give him food and water. And when he looked in, he saw the jewel. He saw the precious stone that was there. And he looked at the woman, he said, how about you give me the stone? And to his amazement, she did. (laughs) And in his mind, he's thinking to himself, you know what? This is worth more than anything else that she had. With this stone, I will have everything I need for the rest of my life. And he went away shouting and joyful, and he couldn't believe the foolishness of this woman. Then she lay down there, as they both laid down their head that night, he went home. And he couldn't get any sleep. And he got up the next day and he was determined to find the woman. And when he found her, he simply said to her, Listen, I've been thinking. I know how valuable this stone is. 
but I'm going to give it back to you in hopes that you're going to give me something even more precious. He said, give me what you have within you that enabled you to give me something so much more precious. Give me what you have within your heart that enabled you to give me this stone. Folks, there is many a person that will come to Christ, not because you're a theologian, not because you're a teacher, not because you're a preacher, not because you're a missionary, not because you're rich, not because you're famous. All that guy was saying was, you have something I don't have that you would give away everything. To a total stranger. You could be rich. What in the world do you have that is more precious than that? Folks, you don't think that'll make a difference around the world? You don't think it makes a difference when people see missionaries overseas and they say, why in the world would you come here? And you would leave. We're all trying to get to America. You would leave America? You would live in a hut? You would eat what we eat and, and live the way that we live? What in the world do you have? <laughs> Folks, if we start living like that, it's going to make a difference. And you're going to have the chance to say, let me tell you, the simple message of the gospel, the Savior who came to give you life. Father, we just praise you and thank you for your goodness and grace to us. We thank you that, Lord, you move and you convict us. You open our eyes and ears to the mystery so that we can hear and understand the simple truth of the gospel of Jesus. Lord, today there's someone here that, that has never known about this gospel, that, that God loved them so much that he would give his own son. And his son would come to this earth and take on flesh and that this same Son who was God in the flesh would die on a cross and suffer at the hands of men a brutal death, not because He was a sinner, but because we're sinners. And He would take our place. And our sins would be nailed to Him on that day and on that cross on that day so that we could be forgiven. And the righteous life that he lived, now that is given to us so that one day we'll stand before God and he won't see our sin. It's been paid for. He'll see the righteousness of his son. And he'll declare us not guilty. And we'll stand in that moment seeing that the God who began a good work in us transformed us over all these years and, and, and transformed us into the image of his son, Jesus. And so, Father, if there's someone here today that needs forgiveness of sins, that has never followed you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would turn today and believe that you can change them, that you can forgive them, that you can help them to repent and turn from this life they're living in sin. And that they would trust Jesus and his death on the cross to save them. And they would believe that one day he will 
come again and raise these bodies out of these graves and we will live forever with him in heaven. Lord, I pray that today they could surrender to Jesus as Lord. It seems sometimes too simple. But it's the truth. It's the only way a man can be saved. Someone has to pay the price. And we thank you that Jesus did. So, Lord, if they need you today, may they pray to you where they are. May they get out of that seat and come and say, Aaron, I want to pray with you. I want to let Jesus know that I believe with all my heart. And I'm confessing today that he's Lord and Savior of my life. Lord, no greater thing would happen in this room than that. And so, Father, for those of us that are believers, Lord, help us to continue to grow in our faith, to follow you and to live in such a way that people would say, I want what you have. You obviously have a pearl of great price. You obviously have something greater than the value of the treasure that is in the field. Lord, whatever it is, whatever they have, I want it. And Father, give us the courage to live spiritually wise. And give us the courage to share our faith, even through fear and trembling. And help us do it in your power. We love you. We thank you for hearing our prayers today and for meeting us here in Jesus' name. Amen.